If you have a Bible, we may like to turn to uh, Luke chapter 9. Good morning to you. Luke chapter 9. I've been enjoying um, just looking at some of the questions God or Jesus or the Spirit ask us uh, as we've been walking through this year. And here's the last one for the year, and it seems a very appropriate one. It's Jesus saying to us, who do you say I am? Shall we pray? Father, this is such a lovely, lovely time of year. We really do appreciate all the opportunities that Christmas gives to us to share the faith we have in you with others. We thank you for the openness that many people have at this time of year. We thank you for the joy that we often can in can experience with our families and uh, the giving of gifts and the giving of hospitality and just the sense of being generous with what we have. Thank you, Lord. It is a reflection of your great gift to us of Jesus. <clears throat> so now, Lord, as we look at your word, our, we ask that you will give to us your Holy Spirit's help so that we may come to know even more fully who Jesus really is, not just in terms of academic understanding but in life's experience so we may live out what we believe in the power of your spirit amen so let me read from verse 28 luke 9 verse 28 which comes after the question but we get to that in a moment and uh, luke 9 28 about eight days after jesus said this he took peter john and james with him and went up onto a mountain to pray as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he, had, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. Stories like that are always fascinating, aren't they? How did they know it was Elijah and Moses? Because they weren't photographs. They weren't pictures. No one had seen them. So how did they know? What's your best guess on that? They didn't have signs saying Moses and Elijah. I don't suppose Moses was standing there with two tablets of stone in his hands like that, and Elijah was sort of, you know, well, he might have been dressed in his, um, was it, goat skins and camel hair and have a handful of locusts in his hand ready to eat them, I suppose. That's possible, isn't it? So Elijah maybe, but how would they have known it was Moses? Long white beard and all that sort of stuff? I don't know. Funny that, isn't it? And once again, we find Peter speaking before he engages the brain, doesn't he? He doesn't know what he was saying. Luke says his purpose in writing the gospel is to 
Write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And the chapters that we're going to be refreshing ourselves over the next few weeks, chapters 1 and 2, introduce us to John the Baptist and to Jesus. John the Baptist is, of course, a new Elijah, and Jesus is the new David, if you look at the scriptures, but Jesus, of course, is greater than John. And then in chapters 3 and 4, Luke shows us Jesus preparing for his ministry, being anointed for that once again. Jesus and John remain side by side, but John is the one who goes before, and Jesus is the one who comes as the greater one who fulfills it. And then the third section of which this is a part, just coming to the end of it, describes the Galilean ministry, Jesus' ministry up in Galilee, and we have three times this question Who is he? In chapter 8 and verse 25, after Jesus calms the storm on the lake, in fear and amazement, the disciples ask one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So Luke is alerting us to what he's been telling us in chapter 9. Before he gets there, he said, The disciples are saying, Who is this? Have you ever asked that question of the saviour you love? Have you ever come to that experience? We ought to, because God is more infinite, more limitless than we could ever guess. So we ought to be asking these questions, isn't it? However much we know him, who is this, say the disciples? In chapter 9 and verse 9, Herod the Tetrarch had been hearing about all that Jesus has been doing, and he says, Herod says, I beheaded John... Who then is this I hear such things about? So not only his disciples, but other people who are watching and listening to what Jesus was doing were asking the question, who is this who is doing these things? And then Jesus in chapter 9 and verse 18 says to his disciples, so who do the crowds say I am? And they come up with some answers. And then he says this question in verse 20, but what about you? Who do you say I am? So who is this Jesus? For Luke it's a key question. And already he's been giving us some answers. So we go back to those answers. There are two angelic declarations of who Jesus is. I wonder if you can guess where they are. The first one comes in chapter 1. And it comes from Gabriel. As uh, Mary is struggling with his announcement that she's going to be the mother of of the Messiah, and uh, she's greatly troubled, and the angel says to her, "He, this is verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So right at the beginning, Gabriel tells Mary who this is. He will be Son of the Most High. That's the first angelic declaration. The second one comes in chapter 2 when the shepherds of whom we sang spoke to one another after the angel had appeared to them and the angel says to them, don't be afraid, verse 10, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a saviour has been born. He is Christ the Lord. So twice already in this gospel, Luke has told us angels declaring who
who Jesus is. Twice already in this gospel, we have two prophetic insights as to who Jesus is. Elizabeth has a visitation from Mary. Mary hears this wonderful announcement from the angel, doesn't know quite what to do with it. The angel hints to her, well, Elizabeth is going to have a child, and everyone said she was barren, so nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you might want to go and have a chat with her. So that's exactly what she does, rushes down to see Elizabeth, and Elizabeth says in a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So angels are speaking about who this little baby is. His, Elizabeth has a moment of prophetic insight when the Spirit just rises in her, and she looks at Mary, her kinswoman, and cannot see anything apart from a bump at the front. She's only three months pregnant, so it's not a very big bump but already recognises God is doing something. That's the first one. The second one comes in chapter 2, when Simeon, this old chap, this old codger, knows that he's not going to die until he has seen the Lord's Christ. That's what the Spirit says. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts where the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised him, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you can now dismiss me because I've seen what you told me. I've seen the Lord's Christ. Luke is very keen that we should see in this small child, in this boy growing up, in this man of powerful ministry, who he really is. We also have two hellish declarations chapter 4 and verse 34 Jesus is in the synagogue driving out an evil spirit from a man who is in the synagogue how interesting is that and the demon an evil spirit at the top of his voice cries out in verse 34 ha what do you want with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us I know who you are the Holy One of God Jesus won't have him declare it because he does not want the witness of hellish people. But nonetheless, it's included in Luke's Gospel. The demons reveal it. Here's a second in chapter 4, verse 41. As Jesus is healing all kinds of sicknesses, laying his hands on people, moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. You get in the picture? What we're about to celebrate, my friends, is very, very big. I hope you have a big experience of Jesus. It's not about singing one or two little carols and doing one or two little things and then let's hope we can get the new year without too much fracture and fractiousness and all that sort of stuff. It's a really big moment, isn't it? I hope you can pause for this moment. Press the pause button on your life and hang around for a long time and enjoy it to the full. Get to as much as you can get to. Not just for you know, someone ticking off an attendance register, but just get among the people of God and enjoy it. Don't you love going to where the, where the um, shopping centres are? And you, if you see the, the Salvation Army out there singing and praising them and playing their music, I just love that, don't you? Just love that. Enjoy as much as you can. There's been two heavenly affirmations as well. So the angels have spoken twice. There's been two prophetic insights. 
two hellish declarations and two heavenly affirmations. Chapter 3, verse 22, Jesus is baptized and as he's praying after being baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice comes from heaven. It must be the Father because he says, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And of course the second is here in the passage we read as, as uh, Peter is burbling on with his thoughtlessness and I don't criticise him. I would probably have been struck dumb with horror or terror, whatever. He gets some words out. But as he's doing that, the voice comes from the cloud, verse 35, saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. If you want a motto for next year, and I know some people like them, some people don't, some people churches have these mottos, don't they? You couldn't do better than that, could you? This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Would be a good one, wouldn't it? I mean, there's loads of them that would be good ones. But that would be a good one, wouldn't it? Listen to him. In our very noisy world, it was just lovely to have that moment of quiet prayer, wasn't it? Just enjoying praying to God in silence and enjoying that experience. In our busy world of noise and things, it's nice to be reminded to listen to him. And Luke in chapter 9 connects Peter's confession of Christ with the transfiguration very cleverly in the way he writes it. In verse 20, in response to a question, Peter declares Jesus' identity. Who do you say I am? And following that in verse 22, then Jesus tells him about his death, the implications of being who he is. This means that this is what's going to happen. And then he speaks about his future coming in glory in verse 26. If anyone is ashamed of me and of my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Identity, death, then glory. And now the passage we read does that in reverse. We see his glory as he stands it on the mountain. And then he speaks with Moses and Elijah about his death. And then you have the father saying, this is my son. So in this lovely, neat, linguistic way, Luke connects these two passages together. So the focus is on the glory. Because when you have that sort of thing done, the focus is always in the center. And the center is on the glory. We see Jesus as he really is. There's a moment in his earthly ministry where it's almost like he can't hold it in anymore. And there has to be this moment of bursting forth. And he invites his two three, or three friends up the mountain. So it can happen, as it were, in private but in public. Where almost the strain of holding in the glory of God is too great. And it just has to shine forth. And as it does so after that, thing, thank goodness for that, now I can hold it in a bit more. But this is who Jesus really is. Extraordinary, isn't it? Many people will come to church on on Christmas and over the Christmas period and be happy to because babies aren't a threat, are they? They can be messy at both ends and they can you know, be demanding and all that, but they're not a threat. Babies don't threaten you. They don't require you to make profound changes to your lives. Oh, you've got to do adjustments to timetables. You know, We've been praying for a number of pregnant women this year and every one of them has discovered that the little baby that they now brought forth, three down, one to go, 
um, has radically changed their lives in a sort of administrative timetable way. You mums know all about that, don't you? I guess there are a few dads too as well. But babies don't threaten. But Jesus shows his glory on the mountain, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is my Son. And he makes demands, doesn't he? That's the challenge. It's not just a comfy little baby we can cuddle a bit and then put back in his manger for another year, hoping he's not going to get too upset if we just leave him with enough toys to play with for the year. He'll be back again next Christmas. But this is the one who comes and joins us. Both these sections come when Jesus is praying. Verse 18, once when Jesus was praying in private, he then asked his disciples the questions, who, are, who am I? What do people say I am? And then back on verse 28, after eight days, Jesus took Peter, John and James with him and went up on the mountain to pray. Both these arise out of times of prayer. This is a vital moment in Jesus' ministry. This is a key spot. At the end of this chapter, in verse 51, it says, At this time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And Luke writes the rest of his gospel as if it's one journey. It isn't, but he writes his, and if it is, one journey right the way through to the cross from this point on. So this is a key turning point. From this point on, it's as if he just travels straight from Caesarea Philippi all the way down to Jerusalem to do what he'd come to do, which is to die on a cross and rise again for our justification. That's what he's doing. So this is a key point. And Luke holds us here a little, wants us to pause here to see who Jesus really is. Prayer leads to a question, first of all. Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And then prayer too that leads to a declaration at the end of it. The second time of prayer, the father says, this is my son. This isn't a kind of um, idle thing. This is Luke wanting us to focus in on this. This is Jesus wanting Peter, James and John to know for sure who he is. They know who they're following. They are key people in this discipleship band. Why weren't all 12 there? I have no idea. But you have these moments of intimacy when Jesus just shares with the three. So the transfiguration is three things. It's a jog for the memory. It's a dramatic visual aid. He's chosen these three disciples to go up onto a mountain to pray. Moses had got up on a mountain to pray. In Exodus 24 he goes with others, but only he approaches God. And the image of Moses, the beginning of the, if you like, the Israelite faith, and Elijah, who stands at the other end of the Israelite faith, although he's not chronologically at the end, he stands as one who stands because he was going to come again before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So, if you like, Moses stands at the beginning of Israelite life, and Elijah stands at the other end, the beginning and end. Not only the law and the prophets, but the beginning and end. And Moses had gone up on a mountain to speak to God. And he was held in high esteem. He received instructions regarding the exodus that he would bring about leading the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. Elijah had gone up on a mountain to speak to God. He had issued a challenge in the name of God on Mount Carmel to the disobedient people. And a stunning success had been followed by his running for his life. 
before he ended up with God reminding him to go back and finish the work he had begun to do. And Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. He wants his father's instructions regarding his life's ministry because he's not going to lead one nation out of one country into another country, but he's going to lead anyone who wants to in the whole world out of slavery to sin and into the promises of God. He is going to call back people to their task. But even he as a man, just like Elijah, is nervous about the task. He's concerned about it. So he needs his father's affirmation. You are my son. This is my son. I have chosen you for this task. And I will equip you for it. So it's a jog for their memory. And it's a sight for their eyes. A visual display of God's glory. He was transfigured among them. Moses' face when he prayed to God was transfigured transformed it shone he put a veil over his face because the people couldn't cope with it simply coming close to god he got the reflection of god's glory it's an extraordinary visual sight isn't it have you ever thought about what moses must have looked like just being near to god which is meant to be something of our own character too when the spirit really fills us inside it should somehow show when paul at ephesus meets 12, apostles, 12 disciples, he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptised? Don't you find that an extraordinary question? Do you know why he asked it? Because it didn't look as if they had. Now there's a thought, isn't it? He could tell. I know the conversations are very truncated, there's lots of other things, but he could tell. Just by looking at them, that they had not been filled with the Spirit. How amazing is that? And, of course, a word from God, too, would help. So Moses had been transformed. And Elijah was caught up in a display of God's glory on the mountain when the fire fell and the people fell down on their knees saying, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And Jesus not sh showed not so much the glory of the Father, but the glory of the Son. He is none other than the second person of the Trinity. This is who he really is. God is among us. And I guess many people this Christmas will miss that point like they've missed it every Christmas. But many others will suddenly, the revelation will suddenly come to them. This is God among us. He hasn't abandoned us. That's what I say. Linger here, my friends. Enjoy your Christmas, the fact of God among us. The three of them talked together about the departure which Jesus was to bring to fulfillment. Moses had coordination to freedom. Elijah had summoned the people back to God. And Jesus is anointed to call a world back to God and in freedom. It's still the same today. And it's also a word in the ear. So it's a jog for their memories and a sight for their eyes and it's a word in their ear. A cloud appears and enveloped them. Clouds express the presence of God in the Old Testament. And the disciples were afraid. This is my son, says the voice from heaven, the son of God. The theologians tell us that this is probably the most significant title given to Jesus. If you go through your Old Testament, someone said, you'll find more than 300 names for God. I've never counted them. But there are lots, aren't there? We had a number read for us just before we had, sang one of the songs. It's delightful 
collection of names. But this is probably the most significant. He is the Son of God. Not in the way that you and I are sons of God. We're sons of God because we're born again. He's a son of God because he is from eternity to eternity the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He is God the Son. He's, prof- he's different in the most profound way from Moses and Elijah. Some people thought that Jesus could possibly be Elijah, some the prophet that Moses had spoken about, but they could not have been more wrong. This is the one God has promised. In Psalm 2, we have this phrase, He said to me, You are my son, today I have become your father. A promise of the son coming. And as Isaiah 42, he says this, Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. And in Jesus, these two have come together. The son of David, great David's greater son, the one they've been waiting for, and the suffering servant of Isaiah come together in the person of Jesus. This is why the Jews had such difficulty with Jesus, because they couldn't put those two together. And here's the father on the mountain drawing from both those passages and saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. So everything that Jesus has said, everything he will say, is worthy of our attention and our action. This is why I say to you it's a good motto for next year. Listen, absorb, receive and live in the good of what he says. So I don't know how they recognised Moses and Elijah. I don't know what was going through Peter, James and John's minds at the time, but they've been treated to this phenomenal, extraordinary demonstration of who Jesus is. And Peter will refer to this moment in one of his letters as he writes to the scattered Christians. He said, we saw his glory. He'll never forget this moment. My prayer for you and for all God's people might be that this Christmas we'll not just be dazzled by the twinkling lights and the beautiful singing, and I hope those things work as well, and all the planning and programming that so many, you and others, are going to put together in the opportunity, but somehow it will be filled, pregnant with the glory of God, whether it's a simple carol service or something extraordinary, the glory of God might be made manifest and God might surprise us with who he is. This is my son. And it says so much about who God is. This year has been a hard year for many people. As a nation, it's been a struggle. For anyone in business, it's been a struggle. For anyone working on their own, it's been a struggle. For people with all sorts of conditions, it's been a struggle. And one of the besetting worries that has people gripped in fear through such times is, has God forgotten us? Are we of no consequence for him anymore? Are we on our own? And Christmas, I always think, demonstrates with underlining that no, that isn't the case. This is the Son of God, and God gave him. Can you think of anything more fragile, more vulnerable than a little baby? God says, he is my gift to you did you want to know if I love you here it is I'm prepared to give myself to you completely and to risk everything 
in this world because it was one of the days when Herod ruled. If you want to know wickedness and evil, it was in the days when Herod ruled. And that was the moment God gave his son. So never think that the circumstances of life today kind of overwhelms the love of God and makes it irrelevant. God knows what it is to live out his gift in the midst of difficulty and trial. So I hope your hearts will be lifted up as you praise the Lord this Christmas. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Father, we, we have the joy of rehearsing the story of Christmas once again, reading and singing familiar words, and as we've had this morning, totally unfamiliar words, newly created and composed. And what a delight that is, Lord. May there be much more of that as your spirit moves among us, stirring up creative gifts to write lovely songs about the lovely master. Lord, we pray for this congregation and for this village, Father, that over these next few weeks, as folk gather here, collect here, to sing and praise your name, to worship you, to come before you, to listen to you, and to share that joy with others generously. Lord, would you draw in people whose hearts are ready to hear and to see that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, they may have life in his name. Let it be so, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen.